This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Well, here we are. The last show of the year 2023. What a year it's been uh, for the world, for me, I'm sure for you. We've had our fair share of ups, our fair share of downs. Hopefully, on the whole, more ups than downs. What do you say we end the year by answering anything you're curious about? Because you're looking awfully inquisitive to me. What do you say we do a little... The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. If you're new to the show or haven't listened to our program in a while, this is your opportunity to ask about anything you like. At 800-848-9222, all you have to do is dial. It doesn't mean that I know the answers to your questions. It means that I will make an effort to answer them. If you have questions about... uh, my opinions on something, if you have questions about uh, some aspects of my personal biography, if you have questions about uh, how I've arrived at a certain view, if you have questions about this program, if you have questions about uh, cocktails, cinema, casinos, baseball, pro wrestling, aliens, you name it, I will do my best to try and answer it. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. I don't want to let the, um, by the way, the person that is going to be, the person or persons that is going to be judging your questions are going to be Tony and Elias. They are our two-man team, two people doing the job of three today. And uh, I can't speak to their specific sensibilities. I think a lot of you know kind of what Matt Blaze is into in terms of questions. If you want to win a prize, and we are going to give, I believe, a magnet out to whomever comes out uh, up with the best question, you're going to have to find out what makes Tony tick and what makes Elias tick. 800-848-9222. By the way, I would be uh, negligent. Uh, I don't want to let the show go by without forgetting to thank and acknowledge both Tony and Elias. I'll tell you, what we've seen over the course of the last week, Christmas, New Year's, Boxing Day, everybody in the world seemingly has laryngitis or a cold. These guys have been Johnny on the spot. These guys have been here every single day throughout every moment of the holidays. Not only have they been here, they've been doing more than what they normally do. They normally do the job of maybe one person, one and a half people. They're each doing the job of three or four people and working longer hours. So uh, my thanks to Tony and Elias for everything that you've done, not only for our show, but all the shows on the network. All right, let's get to the questions. 800-848-9222. Connor is in Springfield. Connor, are you in, which Springfield are you in? Springfield, Missouri, Uh, Springfield, somewhere else. Massachusetts, even better. All right, what's on your mind? What's your question? I've got a question about the Republican primary. I wanted to know if you think that the current state of play with Donald Trump basically taking it away, if you think that was always inevitable to end up being the case, or if there was a time when things 
could have went in a different direction. Uh, that is such a good question, Connor. And obviously, I think going hindsight's twenty twenty, and we'll never know, right? But I, I don't think it was inevitable. I think Trump was always going to be tough to be. But I think two things happened that inured to Trump's benefit. One, his best friend in this primary campaign has been uh, Jack Smith. Alvin Bragg and Fawny Willis. It's a three-way tie for the thing that has um, made Trump uh, such a superstar in these primaries because I think once even people that liked Trump's policies but didn't like him, once they saw him getting indicted, it looked like everything that Trump was saying was true. It looked like this was an attempt to rig the election and deny voters a choice. Also, it looked as if this was an attempt to subvert democracy and it caused people that might have been right-leaning or Trump-leaning uh, that kind of liked some of the things that he did but didn't like all the drama surrounding Trump to say, screw that. You better believe I'm voting for Trump. If this is how hard they're trying to throw him in prison to get me to uh, not vote for him, I'm absolutely going to support him. So I think that's one aspect of it. The other aspect of it, and I don't want to be too critical of anybody because a lot of these people that have run for president are much are much more accomplished than me, but this has been a very weak Republican field. If you look at all the candidates that are either still in the race or have been in the race. I think this is the weakest Republican non-incumbent field that we've seen since um, 1964. I don't think, I mean, I think if other prominent conservatives have gotten into the race, someone like a Marco Rubio, someone like a Rand Paul, someone like a Ted Cruz, uh, someone like a Josh Hawley, I think maybe maybe uh, even someone like a Glenn Youngkin. I think maybe you would have seen things a little bit more difficult for Trump, but honestly, I think once these indictments started coming, it was it was Trump's it was Trump's going away because yeah, it it has just added to his following. Yeah, and I think the reason why they didn't do it is because they didn't want to have to go up against Trump. Well, that's of although course that's Santos, true. Yeah. Although DeSantis I would put in that category of a real challenger and I was just wondering about another point if you think that DeSantis still has a future in the Republican primary for, let's say, 28 in after this uh, election. Yeah, you know? great question, Connor, and I'll do my best to answer it quickly so that we can get to as many questions as we can here. And I'd love to get some non-political questions as well. 800-848-9222. Um, one, I, I think DeSantis has two big problems running in 2024. One, the guy has a tremendous lack of charisma. He has a record which, especially before the race, looked very, very good for right-leaning voters. He's gone a little crazy in the wars with Disney and things that I think even a lot of conservatives think maybe he's gone a little too far with. But I think he had a record that he could run on, either in 2024 or 2028. I think the lack of charisma, the lack of ability to connect with people, that's not what makes presidents. I mean, if you look at every... Just about every president that's been elected in the last hundred years, elected, not people that have ascended to the office, most of them have some level of charisma. Uh, there might be a few one-termers that you could say don't have that, but every two-termer, absolutely, regardless of their politics, if you listen to people describe attending a speech or meeting them, they describe it almost as a magical moment. Ron DeSantis doesn't have that. That's something that can't be taught. That's something that can't be faked. You either have it or you don't, and DeSantis doesn't have it. The other thing that actually really hurt DeSantis 
ironically, is how great the country is doing in terms of opening up after COVID. At the height of COVID, when people had to be vaccinated to go into a restaurant, when they had to wear a mask to go to a a play or go to an opera, when they were being told you can't have more than 10 people over for Thanksgiving, DeSantis and what he was doing in Florida was such a stark contrast to the rest of the country. It looked really like the difference between East and West Berlin. There, Florida, that's freedom. That's where you don't have to wear a mask to go sit on a beach outside. And now everywhere is opened up. And the kind of the pain and the sting of what we all went through, it's faded from memory a little bit. So it makes what DeSantis did no less impressive, but it makes it a lot less visceral. So I think people are not necessarily reacting emotionally to, um, you know, and not reacting emotionally to to the way that they would have had he run in, say, June of 2020. As far as his future, I've learned never to count people out. You know, after 1988, when Bill Clinton gave that uh, disastrous primary um, uh, Democratic convention speech, people said he was done for, done for. And I think he showed you can make a comeback. So I I would not count him out for 2028, but I think he's got a lot of problems. I think the damage that he's done to himself with the Trump base is something that's going to follow him forever. And I think the lack of charisma is not something that is going to be going away. I think you'll see a whole new crop of Republican stars running in 2028, not the least of which will be whoever Trump chooses as his running mate this year. We'll see. All right, 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Joel is in Manhattan. Hi, Joel. Hi, Frank. I've got a question for you. Sure. It surrounds your wife mm-hmm. and Carmine as well. Um, I know that your wife, Rachel, she's Jewish, right? Well, um, she's ethnically Jewish, but she was never a practicing Jew. She grew up as uh, an evangelical Christian. Oh, okay. Well, that kind of like moots the point then in a way, because what I was going to ask is, but it's still it's still kind of an interesting question to ask. To say, okay, say in theory that Rachel is still practicing Jewish, and you know you have a split religion within the family, okay? Mm-hmm. And somebody comes along and says, well, you know, it's great Rachel's Jewish and all, but you know, where she's going at the end of her life because you just have Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. How do you deal with that kind of bigotism or, you know, uh, you know, a situation? How would you deal with that? Well, look, I, I don't I, I don't believe that. I, I think um, there is a place for Jews and people of other faiths in the kingdom of heaven. And I know a lot of folks may disagree with me on that. But look, um, you know, the fact that she and she was never a practicing Jew. It's not as if she was Jewish and then okay. converted. But, you know, the Jews consider whatever your mother is ethnically, they consider you Jewish. So even though her mom is an evangelical Christian because she was born to a Jewish mother, they consider her mom Jewish. They consider Rachel Jewish and they consider my son Jewish. But I uh, look, I think differences in faith, like differences in politics, I realize maybe that's an inapt uh, comparison, but I think they can be very healthy. I think it creates a lot of theological discussion. And you realize how similar a lot of the different dogmas of these religions are. I think, um, you know, and then look, I grew up Catholic. She grew up evangelical. There are some significant differences between our 
our religious upbringings and the things that we grew up believing. And you know what? I think it's great. She took me to uh, some evangelical services that I wouldn't have attended but for her. I took her to some Catholic services, which uh, I doubt she would have attended but for me. And uh, these days we both pretty much land in the Episcopal side of things, which is sort of in between where both of us grew up. 800-848-9222, Frankie is in Highlands. Hello, Frankie. What's your question? Yeah. Uh, first of all, I just want to say that I think you're too humble. I, 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 I don't. I don't think you realize how uh, incredible uh, and and brilliant you are. That's what I just wanted to say. You're very kind. Um, I'm not sure you realize how delusional you are. (laughs) So um, uh, as far as religion, uh, if if they if their basis is uh, uh, for peace and providence for everyone, um, then uh, it doesn't matter any anything else as far as ideology. And uh, we're all God's children. Um, but the question is that, did you know that in 2024, we're going to end all wars? And what we could do right now is say that Israel defeated Hamas. And then I don't care how it takes, we're going to pluck out, just like, you know, you find out 50 years later that he was uh, somebody was part of was a Frankie. Nazi, Frankie, you know. I, I appreciate the context here, but I do want to get to some other people. Just tell me your question, if you can. Question is: Do you know that we can pluck out anyone who's despicable in this world without killing with bombs, without war? I, you know, I did not know that, Frankie, and that's something I'd be interested in learning more about. It seems too good to be true, honestly. I think one of the things that you see is when you uh, kill the bad guys, these bad guys aren't bad guys for everybody, and you create more would-be terrorists. I mean, every time in Iraq we had a drone kill an innocent civilian, that civilian's families became people that were willing to become uh, insurgents that were going to take up arms against American troops. I think you're seeing the same situation play out in the Middle East now. I think uh, there's no way to know this, but I think probably Hamas was probably popular with 50 to 60 percent of adults living in the Gaza Strip prior to this whole thing. I would venture to guess that since October 7th, Hamas is probably supported, and this is my guess. I don't know this. Hamas is probably supported by 90% of the Gazan population. So I think you actually have a situation where there might be, even with these thousands of uh, terrorists uh, dead, I think you might see more people willing to take up arms against Hamas. 800-848-9222. Nick is in New Jersey. Hello there, Nick. What's your question? Hey, Frank. Um, it's actually a two-part question. If you had to go back to the medieval times and you could bring back with you like one, like one piece of technology, something from our times to show off to them, what would that be? And if mm. it was actually to help them with the like, system and our technology, what would that be? Um, hmm. Well, look, uh, I'm going to say the if I was going to help them, and bring back something to medieval times, 
I think it would be the uh, the printing press, right? Because that's really a game changer in terms of civilization. In terms of something that I'm going to uh, I'm going to enjoy for myself and be able to take advantage of. I, again, it depends on where I am in the in the world, but I'm going to have to say, I know it sounds silly, but I'm going to have to say air conditioning. You ever spend a, a hot, humid day in the middle of summer with no air conditioning? It's awful. It's absolutely awful. So give me a little window unit. I'll set up a little office. I'll get stuff done. I'll have brought back the printing press with me so I could do some writing, write stuff out. I, I don't know. They don't have radio in those days, so maybe I could be a town crier. I don't know how long I'm in the middle, the, the, the medieval times and under this experiment, but uh, let me chill out literally in the middle of July, in the middle of August, in my little hovel there, my little cube. All right, 800 848 Two open lines if you have a question. We are doing Ask Frank Anything on this, our last show of 2023. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Ain't got no home. I know played wrong. Ain't got no home. I know plays wrong. I'm a lonely boy. I ain't got a home. I got a voice. I love to sing. Clarence Frogman Henry, I love it. This used to be Rush Limbaugh's uh, homeless update theme back in the day, for obvious reasons. This is a bumper music selection from our listener of the week, Mike in New Rochelle, a man uh, that knows his music, I must say, knows his music quite well. All right, going to get back to your questions in just a moment at 800-848-9222, but first... The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. anything. Actually, breaking news. As I was saying, uh, this is uh, some breaking news out of the state of California. The state of California has declined uh, to kick President Trump off the ballot. The Secretary of State there, Shirley Weber, a Democrat, had indicated in recent days that she was inclined to keep Trump on the ballot based on her interpretation of the California law. I'm sure, I don't know anything about Ms. Weber, but I'm sure this is not someone that's a fan of Donald Trump politically. And uh, this is clearly the right decision. I think what happened in Maine, I'm going to get into this a little bit later with Debbie Schlussel, but I think what happened in Maine was absurd. Uh, And what happened in Colorado uh, was slightly less absurd because the court stayed their own order, and at least they went to court. But for reasons I'll get into a bit later, I found the the Maine decision by the Secretary of State there just ludicrous. It's good to see that uh, the state of California is not following um, Maine in their ludicrous, ludicrousosity, ludicrousity, ludicrousity. I'll go with that. And by the way, uh, I would say this if states were trying to do the same thing to Biden. 
the people should vote. It should not be up to politicians trying to limit voter choice at all. 800-848-9222. Chris in the Catskills, what's your question? Good morning, Frank. Happy New Year coming up. Uh, I have a question regarding a programming suggestion. Dr. Peter Mikolos is a good friend of John Casamatini's. He comes on the roundtable and he discusses health care. Yep. And he, I believe he might be a general practitioner, not certain. He's the most brilliant doctor uh, in terms of general practitioners, maybe any, that I've, I've ever heard. And he talks about cutting edge. He talks about things that are um, traditional alternative medicine. Uh, he would be a great addition to your program if, like, once or twice a month, an hour, talk to him, have callers call in, ask him questions. And do you think that would be a possibility for your programming next year? Yeah. And if Chad uh, Lopez uh, that's, would- that's a great suggestion, uh, Chris. You know, Dr. Mikolos listens to this program. He might be listening right now. One Sometimes when we get into healthcare issues, he'll uh, reach out to me with his thoughts. I think he's great. I'll reach out to him again. You know, I, I don't know if he would be up for the late night hours on a regular basis, but I'd love to do it for an hour next week. So I'm going to reach out to Dr. Mikolos after the show and see if we can't uh, schedule something. He really is a brilliant guy, Dr. Mikolos, because because he's not only an op- uh, he's an ophthalmologist, but he's also a surgeon. The guy has almost four decades of experience in the medical field. So I'm a big admirer of Dr. Mikolos and uh, have followed him for a long time. And yeah, we'll invite him on one day, um, one day next week. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Igor, what is your question? Hello. Greetings, Frank. So the question I have is. Um, how long is too long for a radio host who has a day, a daily show to go away on vacation? And the question is not prompted because you were here a day or two. But if a program director had, had, had a say in the matter, what's the longest you think a radio host should be away from his uh, show? Well, you know, I think it depends, honestly, because I think a vacation uh, can really help do two things if it's handled by management well. I think a vacation can help recharge the batteries of the uh, the talk show host that's taking off. And I, I think a well-rested host that gets to maybe experience things on vacation with their families, uh, different adventures, uh, maybe traveling somewhere, I think that can... All, that can add to the uh, uh, to a radio talk show host's kind of versatility of of talent. Additionally, I think if it's used properly by management to develop new talent, and they use this as an opportunity to hear how hosts that don't typically get to do an hour, two hour, three hour, four hour show on their own sound. I think that helps develop the next generation of great talk talent. But I would say anything more than a week is probably excessive. I think uh, at that point, people start finding other things to listen to. But that's just my view. I, um, you know, it uh, doesn't mean I'm right, but that is, that's my view as well. 800-848-9222, one open line if you have a question on any subject. 800-848-9222. Neil is on Staten Island. Hello, Neil. Hey, Frank. I'd like to say first that uh, another year of listening under my belt. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to the next year, Frank. I've listening to you more than I spoke to my ex-wife. <laughs> I think that's probably for the best, though, Neil. Yeah. Anyway, my question is, what during this year, 2023, what was your worst show, 
what was your best show and what you would you have liked to do differently? Um, see, I wish I had some more time time to think about this. You know, the 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 worst shows are always the ones that um, I feel are dogged by technical difficulties. I, there were there was a couple of shows where we were just once or twice where we were knocked off the air. Those are uh, those are a bit frustrating because you don't know if anyone's listening to what you're saying. And then a couple of times um, there was a, a problem with the phone line. There was a buzz on the phone line. Those those are shows that I didn't enjoy. And more than me not enjoying them, it kind of takes you out of your your you know your zone. It, it becomes a distraction rather than thinking about the things that you're trying to say. You think about oh, can people understand the phone callers? Uh, can people understand what I'm trying to say? Can anybody hear what I'm trying to say? It becomes a, a little bit of a distraction. But as far as my best show, I don't know. You know, I think honestly, any show, Neil, and thanks for the call. I'm happy New Year. Any show could be better. Even a show that I think goes really well. There's something that could be better. I don't know that I've ever had a uh, perfect show. If I have a show where I think the uh, monologues go really well, then maybe I think I could have handled the interviews better or uh, I could have had more interesting, more entertaining guests. If there's a show where the interviews go really well, maybe I think uh, I could have injected some more humor. If there's a show with a lot of humor, maybe I think there could have been broader use of sound and uh, playing audio. Um, So, uh, honestly, I don't know that I've ever had a, a perfect show. It's something that I continue to strive for every day. But um, hopefully, even the shows that are imperfect are still worth listening to. 800 Jim is in Green Bay. What's your question, Jim? Uh, Frank, my question is regarding reparations. Don't you think it would make more sense than rather try and take tax dollars to pay reparations? To just forgive the taxes for those people you want to give reparations to? Um, first of all... I mean, then you could do it by age. Yeah, first of all, I- I've thought about this a great deal over the last 23 years. Because when Alan Keyes um, pay- uh, ran for president, that was basically kind of his view of reparations. Is that black people should get some break in pay- paying income taxes. And uh, honestly, the answer, Jim, is no. I, I don't think that's a uh, a sound philosophy. Sorry, Tony, you still have to pay taxes even in my world. But um, I really will say reparations, I think, is a disaster. I understand why people champion it, but I think it's completely unjust. I think it leads to exacerbation of racial tensions instead of amelioration of racial tensions. I mean, you take someone, you know, during at the time that there was slavery in this continent, my ancestors weren't even in this continent. My ancestors were in Italy. So they didn't have any slaves. Um, Why should I, someone who never owned slaves, whose ancestors never owned slaves, pay money to someone that has never been a slave, which is essentially what reparations is. It's unjust. It's unfair. uh, it's, It's wrong. Honestly, it's just wrong on every level. And, I mean, let's put aside the fact that We can't afford this at any level, state level, city level, federal level. Put that aside. Let's assume we can. It's still wrong. What you're suggesting, basically allowing certain groups to not pay taxes, that is reparations. That's what it is. And I oppose it for the same reason. Because if I'm paying taxes and someone that's the descendant of a slave is not paying taxes, I am basically subsidizing that their tax-free lifestyle. I am totally against it. Totally against it. 
I am for equal opportunity. I'm for giving everybody um, help if they need some help temporarily. I am not for picking based on people's race what reparations they got. If you yourself are a victim of an injustice, then absolutely you should be compensated. Um, The people that were in the Holocaust, for instance, people that were in American concentration camps, um, Germans, Italians, the Japanese that were in these internment camps during World War II, absolutely they should be compensated because they're victims. I don't think people should be compensated because their ancestors were oppressed. No, I just I don't buy this generational entitlement or this generational obligation. Sorry. I'm sorry. 800-848-9222-800-848-9222. Ed is in Westchester. Hi, Ed. Hey, Frank. Um, I have a lighter question, actually. Wonderful. And that is, uh, there are certain times when you'll pronounce certain words a certain way, um, which seem unusual, such as, say, France, you pronounce it France. And most of the most recently, there was a woman on that you were speaking to about corn syrup and you called it high fructose corn syrup, and she correctly said to you high fructose. So my question to you is, do you do that just to annoy people, or is there a particular reason why you do that? Well, first of all, there are different reasons for different words. Um, it, let's, uh, let's talk about the two that you just mentioned. The country of France, that's how it's properly pronounced. It is pronounced France. Now, just because you go around you know, America and you hear person after person saying, France, France, Just because a lot of people say it incorrectly, that doesn't make it uh, correct. As far as fructose goes, I actually did think it was pronounced fructose. I've been saying fructose my my whole life. So that's uh, that's just an example of me being dumb. But there are a lot of words that I will intentionally pronounce uh, because it's fun. And uh, I really got that, you know, Ed, from uh, I I really was inspired to do that by uh, Rush Limbaugh, who was one of my favorite radio talk show hosts. And my life changed 20 about 30 years ago when I was listening to his broadcast. I thought it was just kind of a regular, boring old talk show about the news. And then about 30 years ago, I had always carried a transistor radio with me because I would listen to the baseball game. And about 30 years ago. Rush is uh, talking about the G7 summit in Humpsback, Nova Scotia. And at that moment, my mind was blown. My mind was blown because I didn't know that there was a medium where you could talk about serious things in a lighthearted way. I didn't know that it was possible anywhere on radio or on television to intentionally mispronounce a word not for comedic effect like on Saturday Night Live, but but as you're making a serious point. At that point, I was hooked, not only on Rush Limbaugh, but on the medium of talk radio. And then when he would go and uh, talk about high school or talk about the Reverend or Andrew Cuomo or, um, or suicide, I would just roar and he would do those mispronunciations every day uh and i don't know some words they just really strike a chord with me and uh i I do it really for my own amusement you know you're doing four five six seven hours of radio you although i do it actually when i'm off air too so i you know there's this whole world that exists and i'm sure you're like this to some extent but there's this whole world that exists inside my own head and i kind of just 
treat words and language and a lot of other things as if it is there just to solely amuse me. And, you know, there have been people who've called me a narcissist over the years. And look, I think of what I do with language and other things. I think maybe I'm right. If you find it entertaining, great. If not, what can I tell you? Hopefully you find other reasons to listen. 800 Joaquin is in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Hello, Joaquin. All right, first of all, Frank, you are so right, okay? As a matter of fact, if anybody knows anything about French, the French pronounce it Francais, okay? And when it comes to high fructose, I actually pronounce it without the R, okay? So <laughs> I will not do that on the radio. Thank you. But you see, right now, I do want to engage you in something, okay? And it's going to be a little bit on the gray side, and it is after midnight, okay? And so... Anyway, so let's call it Fifty Shades of Joaquin. Okay. Anyway, since you teased and deceived me and got me all excited thinking that Tom was back on the air, you owe me at least one episode of Murano 101. What would Tom do? Well, first of all, um, I didn't tease you and say he's back on the air. I said he does a podcast, uh, no, which no, he no, does. No, listening, listening to your intro. Oh, I, oh, I, oh, oh, radio, oh. I hear, I'm like, oh, my God, Tom's back on the air. Okay, so you owe me an episode of Murano 101. So you want something that I would take from Tom Likas or something that's part of my own? I want you you to advise me. You advise me. In other words, what would Tom do? WWJ, except WWT, okay? Well, so what's... I have a a hard problem that I need to have worked into a solution. Right, so what's your situation? Are you single now? Well, in anticipation of a hot date, I, I took one of those $99 blue pills, okay? Mm-hmm. But I didn't think about how I'm going to get to the happy ending, okay? So now, do I take her to Shea McDonald's for a Happy Meal? Do I take her to Burger King and get her one of those, you know, uh, crowns, you know, and tell her she's going to be the queen of my double-wide mattress? Or do I spend my last C-note and get her a surfing turf and get myself a drink and tell her, oh, no, I'm not hungry. I just want to sit back and watch you masticate. What do I do, Frank? Well, Joaquin, you know, okay. Uh, Obviously, you know, I don't pretend to have Tom's expertise in uh, advising men on how to uh, how to get laid. My view is, though, like I don't think McDonald's or Burger King is a winner. It depends on your station in life, right? Uh, Both your your age and a, a bunch of other things. The things that you would do to seduce a 22-year-old are different than the things that you would do to seduce a 50-year-old. That's just, And they want different things in life, men and women, at different ages. My advice, uh, the most important thing to do is to have things be as late as possible. So if you're going – and I ha- am a much bigger advocate if you're looking to save money while you're pursuing women in meeting women for drinks – Rather than dinner. I think dinner is for your girlfriend or for your wife. I think if there's a woman that you're meeting for the first time for a date or uh, if, you know, they're, uh, let's say, a friend with benefits, I think you're much better off meeting them somewhere at 930. It's got to be dark out and uh, meeting them for drinks. Sometimes the alcohol gets both of you in more of an amorous mood. And um, if things are not going well from her perspective or for yours, the fact that it's just drinks 
after you guys finish your drinks, if things aren't going well, you guys go your separate ways. You're ideally at a bar. You can meet someone else that happens to be at the bar. So can she. Or you can go home and, um, you know, take care of business on your own. I am. um, So if that's your goal, I think that's kind of the direction that I would go. Invite your would be date to meet you later rather than earlier and for drinks rather than dinner. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Let's say hello to Tom in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Hi, Tom. From the Commonwealth. Hey, yeah, nice to speak with you. Great to hear live radio. This, Thank you. It's great to this, be live. This time of year and this time of night. Thank you. Well, yeah, it's so, nice of you to recognize that. Thank you. Well, no, it, it, it's it's nice to listen to uh, you, you guys coming and clear up here up the coast. Wonderful. And, uh, Love it. Uh, so... Uh, my statement and then my question is the statement is this uh, secretary of state of Maine. you hinted you're going to be talking about this later. Right. Uh, I, I saw her name in the news report. I, for first I even heard about it was the uh, challenge uh, as to uh, for, uh, for her to uh, recuse herself uh, because of her uh, statements online and on social media. And then uh, I got her name today. So, when they, Tom, she, just because we have a lot she, of people here, just tell me well, your well, tell really me your question. Quickly, so really quick, really quickly. So I, I got her name, and she made the decision that was announced today. I googled it. Middlebury College, usual suspects came from Greenfield, Mass. So, what's this your question? The, Tom? This is where all the New York communists came. All up right, thank the, you guys. All right, uh, just because we have a lot of people, I don't want to be disrespectful to everybody. If you're calling, I don't want to be rude. I don't like to hang up on people. It, ask. A question. Questions begin with words like why, what, where, how, do, does, are, when. Those are examples of statements that are interrogative. It shouldn't be a history lesson, right? And I appreciate the nice words about the show, but you you could even save that, right? Just to say hi, my question is blank. Or just don't even say, just hey, what is the uh, square root of nine? Whatever. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. Nate is in New Jersey. Hello, Nate. Hey, Frank, how are you? Um, My question for you is that you, it's your last show of the year, and you've done a lot of these throughout the year. So what was your favorite question of the year, and what was the answer? Oh, well, you know, it's it's a, that's a quite a good question, Nate. We get so many good ones. Um, I often don't realize that it's going to be a great question until the answer comes and people say, wow, that was so interesting, this and that. Um, I think maybe, you know, I think this was this year. It might have been 2022. But someone asked me um, to explain in detail the circumstances in which Curtis Lee was shot. And why he was shot, what was supposed to have happened, because, you know, Curtis always talks about being shot. He doesn't always get into the background. And people said that for whatever reason, they found my answer so riveting. And even though Curtis has been talking about this for 30 years, there were all these aspects of my answer that I um, that they'd never heard before. So that I would say is um, if that was this year, I would say that. And then someone else asked me, and I'm sorry, I don't remember her name. But someone else asked me if you could treat, if you could teach Carmine one lesson in life, what would it be? And I like the question because I have thought about that. 
And it, it's a reminder to me that I have to reinforce that lesson to him as often as possible. And maybe people hear that and they think about living that in their own life. And the question was, you know, if you could teach Carmine any lesson, what would it be? And my answer was, you're not better than anybody. You're no worse than anybody, but you shouldn't allow anybody, you shouldn't treat anybody as if they're beneath you. doesn't matter if they're um, a waiter, doesn't matter if they're a sanitation worker, a postal carrier, a migrant worker. You are equal to everybody. You are not superior to anyone. So don't treat people as if you are doesn't matter their station in life, how much money they've got, how much money you've got. You should treat people with the same kind of dignity as you would expect them or anybody else to treat you. And I think that's a lesson that I am hopeful to teach him. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. We'll continue with your questions straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side at Midnight with Frank Morano. When my baby, when my baby smiles at me, I go to Rio de Janeiro, Miami-o. I go wild and then I have to do the samba and the bamba. Now I'm not the kind of person with a passionate persuasion for dancing or romancing. But I give in to the rhythm and my feet follow the Ten minutes until the top of the hour. This is Rio by Peter oh, Allen. Oh, uh, this is not one of Mike and New Rochelle's selections because he sent us a lot of songs, but most of them are songs we don't have the rights to. And uh, we're not, you know, hopefully we'll be able to get the rights in the future, but... Um, you know, we don't have them now, so we may not get to honor all his song selections, but we are doing the best that we can here. All right, 800-848-9222. Larry is in Brooklyn. What's your question, Larry? Yeah, hi, Frank. This is kind of an experimental question because I'm going to ask you to transcend your uh, your situation, being the fact that you're in your late 30s. Um, you know, we seem to be missing a step in society today. Like, for example, we, the main decision about uh, with Trump, they're not they, they went to banning him from the ballot without actually going to the question of trying to define what an insurrection is. As far as uh, reparations go, we um, we're not asking the question. So, Larry, what's your judge? question? What's your question? My question is, are we missing? Are we skipping a beat? In society, we're not asking pertinent questions like, can we judge people in historical context that's not our current uh, context? And, um, you know, is it in fact an insurrection? In other words, we're we're jumping to conclusions. Is this like an ominous trend in society? Yes, I think it is. Larry, thank you. Yes, I, I think what you identify is and I don't think it's just on the left, but those two Trump decisions that you alluded to happen to be on the left. I think what we see is people tend to view facts through a partisan lens. They tend to view the things that Trump does uh, through the lens of not um, two plus two equals four. They tend to view it uh, as, uh, I can't stand Donald Trump, so it's got to be five. 
Same thing with with Biden, honestly. I mean, uh, there are so many conservatives that realize how foolish it was to impeach Trump, but they're all supportive of impeaching Biden. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's ridiculous to impeach both of them. Same thing on the Democratic end of things. People were saying, oh, Frank, I agreed with what you said about impeaching or not impeaching Biden, but how could you say that Trump shouldn't have been impeached? They're both ridiculous, or all three ridiculous. Uh, The problem is... People too often, and it's worse now than ever, they view things not through facts. They view them through a lens of what's best for their political party, their ideology, their faith, their, um, you know, their political view, their nationality, their ethnicity. And that's what we need to get away from. I think you need to, if you're making a value judgment about anybody, whether it's a presidential candidate or the guy down the street, Pretend you don't, you, you're just making a decision on that issue's own merits. I think that's what's missing. People don't judge situations on their merits. They judge it with, in some ways, too much context, if that makes sense. I hope it does. 800-848-9222. Rob is in Manorville. Hello, Rob. Hey, Frank. By the way, that guy, uh, Joaquin from Pennsylvania, should just pay for it. Um, but that's not my question. Um my question is, uh, do you feel that, um, well, how do you feel about uh, inmates in prison being allowed to donate organs, like, say, if um, to, to kind of commute some of their time on their sentence, or if they just want to do it to, because um, they, for, to show remorse? Uh, what's your what's your opinion on that? Well, I, my answer is absolutely yes. I think um, you know the United States has a big problem with organ donation, and there's a lot of we're going to do a whole show on organ donation soon. But I think uh, the absolutely, if you're in prison, even if you're on death row, I think you should be permitted to donate organs. I don't think it should spare you the death penalty if you're uh, condemned to uh, you know to be executed, but. I absolutely think that counts as a good deed, which should shave uh, some time off your sentence. Because, look, if you're if you're in a position to save someone's life and you make the decision to do that, I think that counts as good behavior. Now, I know that's not necessarily reflected in the law now, but I think it should be. Absolutely should be. All right. One open line. If you have a question, 800-848-9222. George is in New York City. Hello, George. Hi there. Listen, Frank, if it were in your hands... And both Zelensky and Putin agreed that you uh, uh, would have the final say regarding a solution once for all, uh, you know, in this war, once and for all, you know, a peace uh, right. uh, upon both countries. Would you agree, for example, uh, that the status quo be uh, as is right now, whereby Russian-speaking oblasts, would be part of Russia. Uh, of course, Crimea would never be uh, returned to ever, you know. And, of course, Russia proper would never give up what it has acquired in view of the fact that they've lost uh, uh, perhaps 100,000 uh, of their own. So, George, you know, same thing. But what would you uh, say in uh, those terms? Because uh, finally, Trump himself would probably try to resolve uh, the situation in a sort of a status quo uh, factor. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, George. Um, I, I think what I, if I were mediating, you would come up with something very similar 
to the Minsk agreements. I think that's a, a, a the framework for what peace should look like. Immediate ceasefire, withdrawal of heavy weapons from the front line, release of prisoners of war by both sides, um, and self-governance in internationally supervised elections, maybe by the UN or some other group, for the Donbass region. Crimea is obviously is going to be Russian forever. They're Russian people there. They want to be part of Russia. And I think the, the Ukrainians have to recognize that. A pullback of foreign fighters. And, um, you know, I think, yeah. I mean, I think that's where we're headed. And that's what's so frustrating to me about this Russia-Ukraine war. Because we know what this is going to look like. Crimea will be part of Russia. Maybe the Donbass republics will as well. Maybe they'll be independent sort of Russian-leaning. I don't know. But, and the rest of Ukrainian, Western Ukraine, is going to be Ukrainian. And still a large country. One of the largest countries in Europe. More a, a country that's aligned with the West. I think they're going to have to guarantee neutrality when it comes to NATO membership and not joining NATO. But we could have avoided all of this for the last two years. But the United States... And Boris Johnson and uh, other British so-called diplomats, they sabotaged every attempt at diplomacy. You had Putin that was willing to negotiate. You had Zelensky that was willing to negotiate. You have Naftali Bennett, the former Israeli prime minister, that was willing to act as something of a broker and has said that Boris Johnson helped torpedo these peace talks. So we're going to end up in the same place that I just described. The only difference is now... Hundreds of thousands of people will have lost their both, both their lives. The damage that's been done to the economy in both countries, the damage that's been done to the global economy has been enormous. The amount of people that have lost their homes, lost their property, lost limbs and are injured. For what? To end in exactly the same place that I just described. It's just, it's such a tragedy, such a tragedy. And the only people that have benefited are Raytheon, Raytheon Northrop Grumman, and uh, the other military defense contractors. 800-848-9222. I don't know. Um, hey, we'll squeeze in one more. Uh, Robert, what's your question? Quickly, if you can. Has Carmine become self-aware yet? That means has he had his first memory? That's a milestone in child social, mental, and emotional development. Yeah, he actually has uh, quite a quite an impressive memory. Um you know, he remembers whose car is who. Uh, when we point to uh, the, the cars on the street, he'll say, oh, that's Adam's car, that's Tara's car. Yeah. he. Um, and when we see cars like that, he recognizes that that person's car. And many other examples. He knows every family member's name, including extended family and friends. So, yes. All right. Um, we'll get your winner after the top of the hour. Your influence counts. Use it. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.